Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is the 365 Bible Reading Plan. Today is July 16, and our chapter reading for today is the prophet Zephaniah, Zephaniah chapter 3. This is another short book, and it is primarily a book of denunciation. It is dealing with what Joel the prophet dealt with called the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is an often used phrase, and it deals with the time of God's judgment being poured out. The day of the Lord in Zephaniah's day referred to the coming time when the Babylonians would come and would take over the city of Jerusalem, would destroy the city, and take the people captive and into exile as Jeremiah the prophet predicted that they would. All of the prophets told about the time when God's judgment would fall. Now, it's interesting that Zephaniah and many of the prophets dealt with the nations around Israel, with nations as far south as Ethiopia into northern Egypt, but all of the nations around Lebanon, Syria, what would have been modern-day Jordan, which would have been Gilead, Edom, all of these places, Moab, were countries and cities within those countries that would face the wrath of God for their idol worship and for their ungodly living and the wickedness and the barbarianism that was witnessed not only among their own people, but in the peoples that they conquered and warred with. But this time it was different. It was the people of God. And so the greatest judgment is reserved for the people of God, both Israel and Judah, who knew better, who were in a covenant relationship with God. They knew what to do, but they didn't do it. The Lord Jesus even spoke to this when he said, those who know to do good and do not do it, they will be beaten with many stripes. Now, those who sin and those who do wickedly, they're going to meet their judgment. But the greater the light, the greater the knowledge, is the greater the accountability. This is confluent and consistent all the way through the Bible. And so this is why James said, the half-brother of Jesus, be careful that everyone doesn't desire to be a teacher, because with that ability to teach and that platform to teach, You have a greater accountability and the more likelihood of offense because you will influence more people. And the more people you influence, the more people you have the opportunity to lead astray and to cause harm to. So over and over again, Zephaniah and the prophets thundered the judgment of God that was coming in their day. And indeed, it did come. But we'll see in just a moment, with that also comes the great promises of deliverance and redemption by our merciful and loving God. But remember, the day of the Lord is a precursor, as it were, with the Babylonians and the Assyrians coming in as the day of the Lord and the day of judgment. 
were foreshadows and precursors to the great day of judgment that is coming called by Jesus, the Megale Thlipsis, the great crushing, the great tribulation. You see, there is a day ahead of us that the world will see that will be unparalleled and unprecedented. It will be a time when God's wrath from down through the ages that has been stored up against wickedness will be poured out upon the earth. And the scripture says that the time will be so bad that a third of the world's population will be destroyed at one time. Now, that's too much for our minds to get hold of. It's like trying to say, this is a million dollars. This is a hundred million dollars. This is a billion dollars to someone. Those are just numbers and figures. This would take pallets of hundred dollar bills stacked on top of one another, very high to make a billion dollars. And this is just more than our small minds can get hold of. But when you talk about people, you're not talking about a perishable commodity that comes and goes. You're talking about people who will live or die forever somewhere. And the day of the Lord is coming during the days of the great tribulation ahead of us. When God says, I have had enough, it is almost like the days of the flood only It has to do with the people that are on earth that will not be destroyed by a flood, but they will witness the great wrath of Almighty God. In the book of Revelation, a third of the world's population will be destroyed at one time. Now think about this. Right now, it is estimated that there are over 9 billion, with a B, over 9 billion people alive on the planet. If today a third were to be wiped out, that would be over three billion with a B, over three billion people. Let's try to put this in perspective. The United States of America has less than 350 million with an M, less than 350 million. We're talking about three billion And so we are talking about many, many times the population of the United States being destroyed at one time. Every person, every man, every woman, every child being destroyed at one time. You say, how could a good and gracious God do that? My question is, how could God keep from wiping out all 10 billion or 9 billion or 8 billion? Because all of us deserve it. All of us are sinful human creatures, and unless we had the mercy and grace of God, we'd all be destroyed today. But the day of the Lord during the days of Zephaniah, when he prophesied in the prelude to the great Babylonian captivity and the exile, he was prophesying during the days of godly King Josiah, when Israel had its last chance for revival, and it did have somewhat of a religious revival and a spiritual awakening during the days of Josiah. But Josiah acted foolishly and went after something that was none of his concern, something that God did not assign him to do. It was not a divine assignment, and it cost him his life.
All I'm saying is that there were prophecies that were related to the destruction of Jerusalem, the destroying of the capital of Judah, the great city of God, the great temple of God. But there was hope in the midst of that. The prophets also prophesied that there would be a day when God would raise his people up, that though they be scattered from the north to the south to the east and the west, The prophet Isaiah and others prophesied that God would bring them back into their land and that they would become a nation in a day. And indeed they did. In 1948, in the spring of the year in May, Ben-Gurion slammed the gavel down and proclaimed that Israel is a nation. And for the first time in over 2,000 years since the Maccabean period, since the Hasmoneans, Israel was in the land as a sovereign nation under its own auspices and its own rulership, its own sovereignty. And it's an interesting thing that Zephaniah points out, much like what Isaiah did earlier when he prophesied that the people of Egypt and at least five cities in Egypt would speak the language of Canaan. That's the language of the Bible. That's the language of the Jewish people. The language of Moses is the language of the Bible is Hebrew. Now, the scripture says in Zephaniah chapter three and verse nine, for then I will restore to the peoples a pure language that they all may call on the name of the Lord to serve him with one accord. From beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, my worshipers, the daughters of my dispersed ones shall bring my offering. It's an interesting thing that when you read the chronicles of the movement called Zionism that really took off in the 1880s, that when the people came back into the land, they spoke many languages. They could speak Hebrew. That was the language of the synagogue. Uh, There were all kinds of languages that they spoke, but when they were in the synagogue, they all spoke Hebrew. But Hebrew, for the most part, other than religious ceremonies, was a dead language. Yiddish was a combination of German and other languages with Hebrew. And there was the Yiddish, uh, still spoken today by some sects of Judaism. Almost all Jewish people today, wherever they are on earth, know some Yiddish and some Yiddish words. And you can look up the language. But when a man by the name of Eliezer ben Yehuda began to put together a modern dictionary and he revived the Jewish language and wrote down words for the common man, really after ben Yehuda put together his uh, dictionary as a, a lexicographer, a man by the name of Cecil Roth summed up Ben Yehuda's contribution to the Hebrew language in this. He wrote this in a book, Was Hebrew Ever a Dead Language? He said, before Ben Yehuda, Jews could speak Hebrew. After him, that is, after Ben Yehuda, they did. Let me say that again. Before Ben Yehuda, this lexicographer who put down the modern dictionary of the Hebrew language, Before Ben Yehuda, Jews could speak Hebrew. After him, they did. And sure enough, they did. And when you go to Israel today, Hebrew is the primary language. And if you're going to go there and you're going to live there, you're going to have to learn Hebrew. Now, you may know English. 
which is a common language there because it is the lingua franca of the day. That is, it is the trade language of the world. It is the bridge language, which wherever you come from, if you can speak English, you can pretty much do business anywhere in the world. But the primary language of the Jewish people is the native language of the Bible. It's Hebrew. And you must learn it if you're going to live there and be a citizen or you cannot survive. Even those uh, who come from Russia who live in parts of the country like Rehoboth, Rishon Letzion, and Netziona, all of those areas, many of them are heavily populated today in the valley, the coastal plain. But even there, Hebrew is the official language. And if you do anything, you have to do it in Hebrew if it has to do with the government. And part of the assimilation process is to teach the language so that the people can all have one common language. During the days of the millennium, there is no doubt in my mind that the people, all of us, will speak Hebrew. And it is the language of Zion. It is the language of the Bible. Now, the Lord Jesus, when he was here, he spoke Aramaic. And uh, most of the disciples were trilingual or quadlingual. We know that they spoke Hebrew. We know they spoke Aramaic in their homes. We know they spoke uh, Hebrew in the synagogues and the temple worship. We also know that they would have known Greek because it was the lingua franca of that day. It was the bridge language of that day. And uh, most of them would have at least been able to get by in the official language of the Romans, that is Latin. It's very unusual for a people to only speak one language, especially in uh, something besides a third world country. America is unique in that regard in the sense that we speak English primarily, and that's the only language most Americans know. But if you come to the Middle East with me, almost everyone knows Arabic, English. Many know French if they were part of the French mandate after World War I. Many know English. Many doing business Uh, with the Jewish people, you're going to know Hebrew if you deal with Israelis. Uh, But many of these languages, the Israelis know. They can go back and forth from two to three to four languages. Many of the guides that I have used know four to five to seven languages. Not just know them as far as reading them, but being able to converse and to talk and be good enough in them to guide in five to seven languages. And this is nothing out of the ordinary in the Middle East and other parts of the world that is not so colonial as we are here in the United States. Now, that's not a knock on us. It's just the reality of where we are. And so when the Bible says that they will speak a pure language, I have no doubt he's talking about Hebrew because it is the language of the Bible. And so when the Lord spoke to Saul on the road to Damascus, he didn't speak in Aramaic, which was his natural native tongue. He spoke to Saul of Tarsus, who knew Aramaic, who would have been fluent in Greek, of course, and in Latin. He spoke to him in Hebrew. The Bible specifically says in the book of Acts, he spoke to him in the Hebrew tongue and said, Saul, Saul, why do you continue to persecute me? Now, that's the English translation out of the Greek text. But the Bible says he spoke in the Hebrew tongue. And so as you read through the book of Zephaniah, don't be discouraged. Go immediately after all the judgment. You begin to read chapter 3 and you see that in verse 8, a remnant 
will be saved. And God will bring joy once again from verses 14 through the end of the chapter. God promises that there will be a time when he would bring the people home, that he would bring them back, and he would remove from them the reproach and the burden. They would once again be assembled together in the land of God, the land of the Bible. God is faithful. Yes, he is. For On the Way, this is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at tonycrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at tonycrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.